there, folks, and welcome to Christ in Every Word, a podcast of the Concordia Bible Institute, housed on the beautiful campus of Concordia University, Wisconsin. This is your opportunity to read, mark, learn, and inwardly digest the sacred scriptures with me, Dr. Brian German, Associate Professor of Theology here at the University and the Director of the Concordia Bible Institute. We're making our way through the big book of Genesis Christianity in Genesis, to be more specific, where do we see the person and work of Christ and, by extension, our life in him as body of one church, body to the head, and so on? Um, This is a big deal. It's not just a book full of ancient Near Eastern literature, but I'm convinced, and this is kind of our big study here, that this text continues to speak a word to the here and now Christian church. The narrative, you might say, or the text of Genesis, more generally, is constitutive. Fancy word for this is going to constitute life in the Christian church throughout all times and places. Cain and Abel, for example, the true church and the false church. Um, The genealogy in chapter 5. The... Marrying and being given in marriage that was happening in chapter 6. All of these things, there's something that, yeah, that's historical, it's true, and so on. And at the same time, it bears witness to an ongoing reality of the Christian church. We're going to keep pressing that as we get into this flood a little bit, a little bit more. On the docket today is Genesis chapter 7. And this is kind of in the heart and center of the flood narrative. We'll spend... Uh, we'll spend each uh, podcast on each of these chapters. I think it's it's worth doing. There's quite a bit in here. Uh, so we'll jump into chapter 7, verse 1. I just want to focus on this first verse, then we'll go from there. The Lord said to Noah, Go into the ark, you and all your household, for I have seen that you are righteous before me in this generation. Talked a little bit last time about this righteousness. This is just a fascinating God sees that there's corruption everywhere, and he, instead of wiping the hard drive clean... He decides to work through just one or one family for the sake of all or all families. And this, I think we mentioned last time, it's very similar. This is God loves to do this, work through Noah, and by extension the family, by extension to bless a whole new uh, world, generation and generation. God works through Abe, in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. God makes a promise to come through the line of David God will go through the work of his son, one, for the sake of all, the salvation he accomplishes for all on the cross. This is a huge theme in the Bible, and we see it again here with Noah. Another thing that comes up here is this just kind of unexplained righteousness. Noah was righteous. Uh, well, what? why is that? He walked with God. This Luther takes, I think, is right on. We see it here and also in Hebrews as well. Noah had faith. In the promised seed to come, Genesis 3.15, I will send, I'll put enmity between you and the woman, between your seed and her seed. Noah is kind of, for Luther, like a great high priest. Everybody would have flocked to hear his sermons. He was the best preacher around. He was the bishop of the church on earth. And when you see this, like, you are righteous before me in this generation, doesn't mean he just gave a bunch of cash to charity. It means that he believed in the seed, first and foremost. He preached the seed. He prayed to the seed. He reflected and 
and uh, meditated day and night, you might say, upon that coming seed. Now, that's the big deal here. So this is also the, this is the church. Go into the ark. Well, what if I want to worship God wherever I want? Go into the ark. Get into the ark of the Christian church. Go to the place. There is a location where God gives his word and his sacrament in unique ways. I am present in that place, the ark, the house of God. I am present in that particular place, unlike I am present anywhere else in all of creation. So what he says to Noah, he says to the church, go into the ark. There's places that are not the ark, and then there's the ark. Go into the ark. You and all your household, this is not just for the pastors, this is for everybody. The household of faith we'll hear about in the New Testament. So this is exactly the church. Go into the ark, and that's a word for the entire household. I love that kind of extension, too, the emphasis on Noah, and yet there's immediately... You're never alone in the church, one body, but many members, never isolated. You're never worshiping alone. So even though you have this focus on Noah, it's immediately connected to you and all your household. For I've seen that you are righteous before me in this generation. This is the life of the church. Verse 2, take with you seven pairs of all clean animals, the male and his mate, and a pair of the animals that are not clean, the male and his mate, and seven pairs of the birds of the heavens also male and female to keep their offspring alive on the face of the earth. Now, this is a fascinating little, this is a little different than what we heard last time, wasn't it? It was what? Two by two. Uh, If you look at verse 19 in the previous chapter, you get two of every sort. Okay, male and female. Well, now we have seven pairs, which is a little different, isn't it? Uh, And so, but I like, the flood has a lot of numbers in it. 40, we'll see, seven Um, Noah's age and how many days of rain and so on. There are a lot of numbers in the flood narrative. And this pair thing, I think, is, I guess, one thing you have, the male and female we talked about last time, I think it's it's not just a coincidence. I think the male and female thing talked about last time as a kind of depiction of nations, uh, the male and female. We have marriage, of course, in Genesis chapter 2. People from all tribes, every nation, male and female, flocking to the church. And it's not just a coincidence that the early church interpreters saw this male and female two by two as um, even the animals as kind of a a symbolism of, of sorts for the nations streaming into the into the church. I think the seven pairs, male and his mate, kind of a similar deal there. You will have mar- you'll have male and female streaming into the church. You'll have marriages, holy matrimony. You will also have the friendships, uh, the bonds that are there. Think of David and and Jonathan. He loved him as his own soul. The male and his mate, you might say. Nothing sexual about it. You know what I'm you get these kind of perversions that happen in critical scholarship. You don't have to go there at all. Uh, but you just reflect on the kind of uh, bond and union that you have in the Christian church. It's unlike anything else. And I love the numbers. Again, seven, this is encompassing a number of perfection. It's just encompassing all of that. The kind of bond that's there, the male and female, the marriage, the 
The Union of Brothers and Sisters in Christ, Male and His Mate, again, think like Jonathan and David, and uh, Clean and Unclean. I just love this. Where have we gotten clean and unclean? Have you ever wondered about this? Clean and unclean? Uh, that doesn't. Cu- if you want to know what clean and unclean is in the Bible, you go to Leviticus. That's where you, okay, what birds are clean, what can I eat, what can I not eat, and so on. We haven't had anything about clean and unclean yet in the book of Genesis. It just says, you know, clean and unclean as if Noah knows this. Now, there are a couple ways to think about this. One is, okay, um, the, the critical scholar would come along and say, well, this is clearly anachronistic. Somebody edited the text and put in something uh, after the fact. No. Uh, another way to look at this is like, well... Noah knows what these are, and then later on they'll write them down, as you get in the books of uh, Leviticus and so on. Well, that's that's a, that's a better a step in the better direction. But I think even more so is, I love how this this book we call the Bible is inspired by the Spirit. Um, the Lord knows in His wisdom full well where this is going, and He can allow one part to illuminate the other, even if it's after the fact chronologically. So later you'll get this clean and unclean. If you reread this in light of Leviticus, it's, oh my, a clean and unclean. Um, All along, there was this, you will see, it's almost like, it's in John chapter 2, Jesus says, destroy this temple. Nobody gets it. But then after the death and resurrection, they go back and reread it, and it it opens up a whole new level of significance. So when they reread Jesus' words in light of the end of the story, it takes on a whole new meaning. The bread that I'll give for the life of the world is my flesh, and so on. I think the same thing's going on here with this clean and unclean thing. You don't know much about clean and unclean. You read on, you see it in Leviticus, Deuteronomy, Numbers, or wherever else, and then you go back and you reread and you think, oh my goodness, this is exactly what's clean and unclean is kind of anticipating this, the cleanliness and the uncleanliness. And then at an even bigger level, it speaks to the reality of being forgiven. We're unclean by nature, sinful and unclean. I've sinned against you in thought, word, and deed, and so on. Um, And yet there's a way for the unclean even to make it into the holy ark of the Christian church. And that is through forgiveness, through being cleansed by the, the blood of Christ. I think this is brilliant. I love this kind of, he just asserts it. The Spirit inspires Moses to just, oh, just insert that right here. Male and even the not clean. Um, I think that's I think that's just great. Here we see this kind of this is the reality of the church even today. Um, well, it sounds like a great arc there, but only the clean can enter. No, even the not clean. And here's and stay tuned to find out more why. For in seven days I'll send rain on the earth, forty days and forty nights, and every living thing that I have made I will blot out from the face of the ground. And Noah did all that he had commanded him. Again, the seven days. This is just the complete time period. Seven days, why not three days, why not five days or 27? Seven is that full time period. In seven days I will do this. What's happening, there's some sense in which what's happening is covering the church of all time and places. Seven days. What I'm doing is going to cover the whole time period. I'll send earth uh, rain on the earth 40 days and 40 nights. I think we talked about this, but this 40 is also, I mean, I think this is just a fascinating number. Why not 72 and so on? 40, we'll see 
is just another one of those numbers that keeps popping up in the Bible. Israelites in the wilderness for 40 years. Jesus is tempted in the wilderness 40 days and so on. 40 is the set period of time for the church. It's the ordained uh, chronological (laughs) duration. Well, that's a fancy way of putting it, right? In which God will act on behalf of his people. 40 days. It's a set time. It will come to an end. If it's tough, trial and temptation and so on, it will come to an end. We are promised that. And yet this 40 days and 40 nights, that gets us thinking of there's a time of trial, a time of testing, a time of uh, fasting, a time of prayer. This is exactly what the church is in right now. The church is in that 40 days. Why we do Lent, of course, 40 days of Lent. This is the penitential season. We are in this 40-day period. And that's also why we have this 40 days uh, for the ark as well. Noah did all that the Lord had commanded him. That's what the church has asked, uh, what the Lord asks of the church. Believe my word, confess it, uh, receive the things I'm giving you in this 40-day period, and I promise uh, there will be a new heaven and a new earth on the other side. Noah was 600 years old when the flood of the waters came upon the earth. Noah, his sons, his wife, his sons' wives with him went into the ark to escape the waters of the flood of clean animals and of animals that are not clean and of birds and everything that creeps on the ground. Two and two, male and female, went into the ark with Noah as God had commanded Noah. And after seven days, the waters of the flood came upon the earth. Noah is not a young chicken. And yet, at the same time, people lived a little longer there, didn't they, back in the day? 600 years. Um, that's that's pretty impressive. And yet, he goes on to live quite a bit longer, um, nearly a third of his life uh, after the flood. So he's kind of, a, I think, one of the biggest reasons for this, I think I said this a little bit earlier, the longer ages, it's just this kind of prominence Um he is, I think, I think it's another way to emphasize he's the high priest. He's the main preacher around of this coming seed. He's the bishop. And uh, through him is what is happening through him is not just, well, that's kind of a nice, why would you give an age? Who cares how old he is? And unless this says something more than just one guy's old age. And that is, this is another way to emphasize the churchliness of what is going on here. God has preserved a great high priest even the gates of hell have not prevailed against his church year after year after year after year 600 years old he'll live another um few hundred and and uh that's also i think contributing to this picture of the christian church that we see in this narrative in many ways we'll say more about that real soon but let's take a quick break we'll be back in just a moment to the concordia bible institute podcast in the meantime I'd like to have you consider this question. What is most important in higher education? How do you prioritize all the knowledge to be gained at an institution of higher learning? Concordia University, Wisconsin, located on the shores of Lake Michigan in Mequon, Wisconsin, just north of Milwaukee, is an institution that is committed to excellence in learning, but at the same time realizes that excellence in itself is insufficient without development in vocation. We believe that God works through our vocations, our callings, in order to serve the needs of those around us. The mission statement of Concordia University puts it this way, Concordia University, Wisconsin, is a Lutheran higher education community committed to helping students develop in mind, body, and spirit for service to Christ in the church 
and the world. You can learn more about the over 70 programs offered at Concordia by visiting the website, www.cuw.edu. And if you're benefiting from our Christ in Every Word podcasts, I encourage you to support this ministry by mentioning it to others and by offering your monetary support. Please consider supporting the Concordia Bible Institute by going to our website, www.concordiabible.org, and clicking on the Contribute page. And now, back to the podcast. Alrighty there, folks. We are back with our study of Genesis chapter 7. It's quite a remarkable age, isn't it? Noah lives hundred, sorry, 600 years, and uh, he'll go on to, to live quite a bit longer. I suppose another thing about this, I mean, the 600th year of his life, we get this, this very specific... Uh, Noah lived to be five, 950, by the way, so, I mean, that's pretty old, one of the oldest guys in the Bible. In the 600th year of Noah's life, in the second month, on the 17th day of the month, on that day, all the fountains of the great deep burst forth and the windows of the heavens were opened. I love this language um, because not only do we get this it, emphasis on how old Noah was, again, the 600th year, this is... I mean, it's also the number six, isn't it? Like this time, one less than seven. We're not the full seven. It's a set period of time. It's a long time. God is preserved for his church. He will throughout the whole time of the church, the six days of this church of all times and places until we get our seventh day rest. In the 600th year of Noah's life, in the second month, 17th day, this specificity hardly happens elsewhere in the Bible. It does a few times, but in very, like, catastrophic or, or momentous uh, occasions. Um, the captivity, for example, the fall to Babylon. You get the year, you get the month, you get the day. Um, the first word that God speaks after the captivity, you see this in Haggai, you get the year, you get the month, you get the day. When you get year, month, and day in the Bible, it is a huge deal. And again, this is another one of those instances where you're reading along and it's like, well, this is the first time we get year month and day, and yet elsewhere in the Bible, as you read the whole thing, you get these huge monumental events that happen, and that has a way of kind of backflowing into this narrative of the flood on second read, like we talked about earlier. This means uh, God is up to something remarkable. Um, Think Babylonian captivity. I mentioned that with where you get this year, month, and day. Babylonian captivity, the Israel that's like the that's the death and resurrection of Israel right there. Haggai would be the resurrection. The death would be in Jeremiah and Ezekiel, month and year and day. And then Haggai is when, well, here's a breath of new life, calling into existence that which does not exist. Year, month, and day. Uh, that's the death and resurrection of Israel. That's the crucifixion and resurrection of Israel. And when you read that here in this, and that when you kind of you know, go through and reread this, it's, oh my, this is, there's a death and resurrection happening here. And that's exactly what happens in the Christian church daily, every Lord's Day, the, do, the drowning of the old Adam and all sins and evil lusts. 
and again the rising of the new man living before God in righteousness and purity. And this narrative here, it's what? The flood, the great deep burst forth, the window, the heavens were open. This almost sounds kind of like end times. It also sounds kind of passion-like, doesn't it? The crucifixion narrative. Uh, the deep burst forth, the windows of the heavens were open. Think the earth shaking and the signs of the heavens and um, the lights going out, right? There's darkness all over the land and so on. Um, rain falls 40 days and 40 nights. Everything's going to die. This is This is the death and resurrection of the church. The baptismal life of the church. Rain falls 40 days and 40 nights. The entire 40 of the church is one of raining, drowning that old Adam so that this new family can arise and live before God in righteousness and purity. The baptismal family. So you get Noah, Shem, Ham, Japheth, the three wives, and so on. They enter the ark, all the beasts. They go into their, uh, into their safe haven of the Christian church. They go in, and then the Lord shuts them in. This is where you're safe and secure. We have that in our baptismal rites, don't we? Safe and Kept safe and secure in the ark of the Christian church. I love that kind of marriage of language there. Uh, but when you read on, this is, this is the baptismal reality of this flood. The flood continued 40 days on the earth. That is, the flood exists for the life of the church. That's the 40. We are constantly in a flood, flood of, of drowning the old Adam. And yet the waters increased. The same means that's drowning, destroying, is also saving. The flood continues 40 days, drowning the old Adam. And at the same time, the waters increased and bore up the ark. God worked through the water to save, uh, to preserve the safe haven. And so God works through that water, not only to drown the old Adam, but to, to, but to give a new man that lives before God in righteousness and purity and so on. Water through the word and spirit. Uh, so he uses these means that are both destructive and saving. Uh, and, this, and this is exactly, again, the life of the church that we see the rest of this chapter. The waters prevailed mightily. They covered the mountains. They prevailed all flesh died. Notice all this emphasis on what is destroyed. All flesh died that moved on the earth. Birds, livestock, beasts, all swarming creatures that swarm on the earth, all mankind. Everything on the dry land in whose nostrils was the breath of life died. He blotted out. That's the language of forgiveness right there. Blot out my transgressions. Not just a coincidence. Again, the Spirit's inspiration. He knows what he's doing. He blotted out every living thing. This is forgiveness. This is the flood of the church, the 40 uh, days and nights of the church of all times and places. God is blotting out sin, death, the devil, by the blood of his Son. He blotted out every living thing that was on the face of the ground, man and animals and creeping things and birds of the heavens. They were blotted out, again, the repetition of the forgiveness language, only Noah was left and those who were with him in the ark, and the waters prevailed on the earth 150 days. This is the baptismal reality of the church, the blotting out, the forgiveness, the drowning of the old Adam, so that a new man can live before righteousness and purity forever. The waters prevailing on the earth for 150 days, a long period of time, another number, 
here at the end of Genesis 7. Um, I take that to be the kind of, again, this duration. Um, this is a complete drowning. There's also very... There's also very much comfort to be had here, of course. This is like, it's also emphasized, you know, it kind of sounds like, oh man, this is a really intense narrative. Everything's dying and so on. What about the people and so on? I just love that the focus is on, I mean, you, you get, if it's not a horror movie in the sense of let's focus on the people wailing and gnashing of teeth and, and so on that you could maybe hear about in what, uh, Revelation, kind of the end times, uh, torment or whatever the flood narrative doesn't do that that's not the primary interest what's the primary interest again the language of blotting out the forgiveness also the total destruction of what is evil god introduced this narrative with with the kind of evil that prevailed that got so bad that he was he regretted making humanity and that i think is also the source of comfort for what forgiveness is in the christian church in the life of the christian and that is it is a complete uh drowning a complete destroying of all that malady uh and so there's no room for well i think he forgave forgave most of my sins but i'm going to have to work on repaying some time and effort or money or whatever to cover the other ones um, he has completely separated your sins as far as the east is from the west. Um, he has taken care of, I remember your sins no more. They're not there. They're completely eradicated just as all flesh died. Everything was taken care of. All things needful um, he gave to you. All sins needing forgiven he took care of for you by the blood of his son on the cross. And so there's also tremendous comfort. There's, I mean, it's not just, you hear the flood sometimes presented in a kind of a one-sided manner. Wow, uh, that sounds like a mean God and so on. On the other, it's equally intense um, as a source of comfort in what our Lord has done for us in Christ Jesus our Lord. I think we'll, we'll call it there this time uh, and save chapter 8 for the next one. But hey, Christianity and Genesis, it's a marvelous picture, very rich, profound in many ways as we move along. Stay tuned. We'll do, uh, we'll do a little more next time. Tell your family and friends so that they too can learn more about God's Word with us. The mission of the Concordia Bible Institute is to provide Christ-centered Bible instruction from distinguished experts who teach Christ in every word of the Old and New Testaments to strengthen faith and spread belief in the one true God. Again, if you benefit from this podcast series, I encourage you to, to consider supporting the Bible Institute by going to our website, www.concordiabible.org, and clicking on our Contribute page. Until next time, my friends, I'm Dr. Brian German, wishing you all God's blessings in Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen.